Hi, I'm Timo Deca, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis, and with me today is Timo Toke, the CEO and co-founder of Wolf3D. Wolf3D is a company focused on the personal 3D avatar creator for video games, virtual worlds, VR spaces, effectively the metaverse. The topic of, of avatars is, is definitely one that comes up a lot on this podcast. In any of the episodes where we've talked about AI or the metaverse, it's obviously come up. And I thought it made a lot of sense to find an expert in the space and deep dive with them. In this conversation, Timo and I go from the super highest level abstractionalists versus immersionists and, and the sort of different theoretical value propositions of avatars in video games, all the way down to the technical and nitty gritty, how Wolf 3D uses AI to automate the process of avatar generation, how animation and voice technology are changing the landscape, how AI is helping change the landscape of digital twins and representation in video games in general. If you're interested in the metaverse, you're probably interested in avatars and you'll probably find this conversation very insightful. I hope you enjoy. Okay, let's dive in. I always start super simple. Introduce yourself, your company, and maybe tell us a little bit about the problems you guys are trying to solve. The broad theme of this podcast is the sort of future of entertainment. There's a particular slice of that that you are highly invested in. So maybe describe that slice. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. And thanks for having me. Pleasure. It's going to be really fun. Absolutely. Yeah, my name is Timo. I'm the CEO of Wolf3D. And we create personal avatars of people for games and virtual worlds. And we're also building a cross-platform avatar, cross-game avatar platform, which is kind of an avatar standard people can use in many different games. Okay. And yeah, maybe just for background, like, what we see is that games are becoming more more social. They're becoming kind of a gathering place for people where they hang out. And, and that creates a bigger need for better representation of our identities in games. And that's kind of our, our core thesis. And, and the other thing is, you know, there's increasing amounts of virtual worlds that people can visit. And in every world currently have uh, a different avatar, which kind of doesn't make sense in the long run. So mm-hmm. we're trying to kind of simplify the experience and create a cross-platform identity service that helps people kind of navigate between experiences with the same avatar. Okay, great. So, I mean, avatars inside of games, not necessarily new. I mean, I, we've been making avatars in games and customizing them for a while. Avatars in games that look like us or can easily be made to look like us, certainly new-ish, and, and there's lots of stuff we can talk about there. And then this sort of proto metaverse kind of platform of persistency, of profile persistency of character that you can carry over between games. That's obviously another very hot and, and new space. So we'll definitely talk some about that area as we go forward. But let's start with this the basic, like the creating and customizing character. Again, I don't remember the first time we did that. Uh, you know, the word avatar as it relates to games dates back to Ultima, I guess, or, you know, what, Ultima 2 or something like that. You know, Richard Garriott was obviously big on that way back when. You know, there wasn't a ton of visual tweaking that we did back then, but obviously as the technology has advanced, we've been customizing our characters for years. So why do you think that is? Why are players interested and willing to spend time tweaking these little details on their character's appearance? And and in particular, what I'm interested in is why it's different. What motivates players to do that in a single-player game versus a multiplayer game? Because I think there's probably different driving, motivating factors there. Sure. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, avatars as a kind of representation of our identity in a game, you know, started from the first games. Like in in arcade games, you could uh, have like a three character combination that represented your, you know, yourself in a high score list. 
And I think even back then, people really were very thoughtful about like how they represented mm, themselves. Good point. You know, yeah. So, and obviously now it's more, you know, high fidelity. It's more high, like it's becoming more realistic. But I think the driver is the same, you know, it's how you represent yourself in this world that you're experiencing. It's kind of your avatar is your agent in this world. It doesn't have to be like yourself in every experience. But it doesn't matter. And I think that's kind of the core thing. It's your identity. It's an extension of a self. And the other thing is like, you know, it's just fun. It's just pure fun. It's a part of the game. Creating a character is it's a very creative process. And I don't want to make it cool and, you know, and scary. Or you want to make it cute, depending on, you know, your preferences and the game you're playing. But uh, I think it's just very fun. People enjoy the process of creating a character. Mm -hmm. Do you see do you see differences once you start introducing you know multiplayer to the equation where yeah. I'm making a character not just for my own identity but also my my perception? Yeah, absolutely. In in a multiplayer game, your avatar becomes it's kind of more practical in a way. You know, it's kind of how people judge you. It's like you you display your rank, you display your skill, your status in the game through your avatar. So, for example, like in Fortnite, there's a new form of cyberbullying, which is you know the default. So if you play with a default skin, other kids like bully you and kill you and don't want to play with you because you're a default, which usually means you're a noob. So, you know, signaling that you are an advanced player to having an, a more advanced character that you, you know, had bought some premium features for is kind of a practical thing to do if you want to be, with, you know, among the cool kids. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the main difference. Yeah. And obviously in multiplayer games, people spend a lot more money on, on character customizations than in a single player game. Right. Yeah. No, I, I for sure the business model exists more so in multiplayer. In fact, in many multiplayer games, it, it is the business model. And so so I, I can get this idea of wanting to, you know, be perceived as a cool kid, right? You, you don't want to be perceived as default. You don't want to be perceived as noob. Mm -hmm. So you spend time and energy into customizing how you look. But I mean, is there, are there levels deeper than that, do you think, when it comes to how I express myself mm -hmm. in a public way in these games? I mean, if, again, let's look at Fortnite as an example. If I've been playing that game for any amount of time, I probably have a, a, a library of skins that I can choose from. And, you know, I can kind of change my skins in the game the way I change my clothes in the real world, right? And sometimes maybe I want to wear the banana skin, because what? Because I want to be perceived as silly or funny or jokey or happy. And then other times, maybe I want to wear the Flash skin or the, you know, whatever, the Marvel skin, because I want to be perceived as hardcore or aggressive or cool or just a fanboy. So do you see people do you see people playing with different representation and perception with these skins in these games? Yeah, absolutely. I think people, you know, choose the skin and the avatar look based on, you know, first the use case, like what's the game and also like the mood, you know, do you want to go there and, and focus on, uh, you know, winning the game or you're going there to just uh, mess around with your friends. Okay. So, yeah, and I think Definitely. Yeah. Depends. Like, it's just like your normal wardrobe. There's uh, clothing for different occasions. And, <laughs> Skins you know. for different occasions. Exactly. So first of all, let's take a second to differentiate uh, about all the different types of avatars. So there's, when I think of an avatar, there's the base character. And to that, I, you know, physical attributes. Is it tall? Is he thin? Is he, you know, larger? Is he thinner? possibly sex, is it male, is it female, hair color, eye color, that kind of stuff. There's then obviously sort of literally clothes, right? Am I wearing a hat? Am I wearing glasses? Am I wearing a shirt? Am I, you know, so there's those kind of customization elements. Then there's also this just idea of skins, right? Where I am, sometimes I am the banana guy and sometimes I am you know, whatever, Wolverine. And there's not that suggestion that underneath those is me. It's not Ben Mattis wearing a Wolverine costume and then Ben Mattis wearing a banana costume. 
It's rather one game, I am the banana guy, and the other game, I am Wolverine. So do you see a divide between the concept of skins versus customization? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, to really know the answer is to give, you know, we have to give people a, a kind of a more persistent avatar base, which is connected with their real identity, and then see how that really affects their, uh, you know, behavior, behavior uh, in the long run. What we see is that even if people have like their own avatars, they often come back to the custom customization menu and play around, you know, change, change their face tattoos, try out the new skin. If there's nothing, if there's something new, you know, that comes up that our artists make, people try it out. So I, I don't know. I don't know if, it, if it's different. It's just like current games mostly only have skins, I guess, most of them, which kind of completely remakes the avatar versus, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to to explore whether or not that's a business model decision, right? Because it's somehow easier to sell a skin because it's a single thing. Yeah. Or is it an aesthetic decision, right? It's easier to make your game look good when everyone is running around in a skin that has been carefully designed by the artists to be whole. Or is it a player choice thing where there's reason to suspect that players prefer a, a single skin over, you know, the, again, that sort of idea of customizing their avatar. But I do agree that the, the current market trend, I mean, obviously, if you look at things like Fortnite, it kind of dominates, feels like skins somehow are the most dominant form of character customization. But yeah. I, don't, I, I wonder, I, you know, I suspect that might evolve. I think it will. Like we have also decided to have skins for now, although we have personal avatars. So we create the whole set and we have, you know, maybe a couple of different versions of the same set with different colors and, and you know, stuff like that. But we have, that was the same thinking process. If we give the user a full com complete control over the whole character, then some users will come up with some interesting stuff <laughs> that mm -hmm. is not aesthetically pleasing. But I think overall, like, we will be more like the real world where you kind of wear anything you want when you, you know, exit the building, but people would charge you for what you wear. Right. And, and that will kind of, you know, determine what you, what you put on. So, well, so let's ask a, a sort of existential question. I had Matthew Ball on this podcast a few weeks ago. Are you familiar with, with Matthew Ball? I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. So I had Matthew Ball on the podcast a few weeks ago. I asked him a sort of similar question. The, his attitude towards the role of the avatar in the metaverse and did there need to be character persistency or, or was it okay for people to have kind of, you know, whatever, as many skins as they wanted. He definitely leans in the direction of choice, right? You know, sometimes you want to look like a banana, sometimes you want to look like, you know, whatever, muffin, I guess. You know, he, he definitely yeah. sees that as the sort of one of the key selling points of the possibility space of the metaverse. And I'll ask you, a slight variant of that question. Mm -hmm. Is the metaverse more powerful with skins, where we have that aesthetic consistency, or with avatar personalization, where we have greater expressiveness and sort of a, close, a closer mapping to reality? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the traditional social media platforms, then, you know, the strongest ones, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all of them are based on your real identities. So when you create an account that is connected with your real identity, it's more persistent. You know, the network effects of that network are stronger. If you have a lot of users that create random accounts, you know, that are just a version that you create for this particular application, then the network effects of that network are lower. Uh, you know, Facebook was the first kind of platform that really enforced using uh, real identities. And it was, it felt safe for the first time because it was like kind of a closed or a limited network at first. But then it kind of became, uh, you know, it became uh, a standard. And mm -hmm. can you think of any networks, any social networks where you don't have your own identity? Maybe like Reddit, but there are not many of them around. That's a good point. So then I'll put words in your mouth. You think real identity, i.e. avatar and personalization, is a bigger opportunity in the metaverse than just masses and masses of skins. Yeah, and I think like skins and like real identity are not 
you know, one or the other. Like you okay. can have skins that are, you can have an, you know, a Marvel, you know, comic style skin that you put on your own personal avatar. Sure. It's absolutely. Just... Appearance in general, customization, skin or avatar. Do you think it's more important to a specific demographic or is it like, are there, is, do men, you know, spend more or, or spend more time on their characters than women? Do young people spend more time or more money than old? Is there a demographic breakdown? Yeah, so I don't have like a complete overview, but okay. what I've seen is that kids, younger people tend to experiment more with their identity. And that's not only as game characters, it's like in general in their life, right? If their identities are not formed yet. And also oh, just- interesting. Yeah. So they're used to having a lot of different uh, identities in games and also like they're experimenting with who they are and, and what they become and, and so forth. And and the older people get, the uh, more they, they already know what they want to be. And they also know what they don't, what they're not. <laughs> and like, and so they kind of know the idealized version of themselves. They want to be, I guess, more than young people. I think that's really interesting. I don't know that I'd ever thought of it that way. I wonder if if one's ability or willingness to role play also follows a similar curve whereby kids are more comfortable role playing than older people in general. Obviously there's lots of old people who, you know, are are comfortable playing AD&D because they grew up with it. But I was having yeah. a conversation just the other day with my sister who, you know, is not a role player. I was actually sort of telling her the the benefits of kind of role play in terms of exactly this question, sort of answering some questions about, you know, identity, not so much, you know, fun, but more answering questions about identity. And she found the idea very difficult. The idea of kind Mm. of trying to pretend to be someone she wasn't, even in a virtual space, she found that very difficult. And I wonder if that's somehow associated with, at least partially with age. That's interesting. I think it is because, I mean, kids do role play or like, they, you know, in, in offline, <laughs> they right. do it a lot offline as well. So like for them, it's a natural thing to, to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it just extends to games. Okay, so we've explored a little bit the reasons why do we want avatars? Why do we need avatars? Kind of why do avatars exist? Why are they popular? Let's talk a little bit about the nitty gritty, the perception of them. So if we look at most popular mass market avatar creators right now, so I think of, you know, Nintendo's Mii's, Apple's, whatever they called, Memojis, Snapchat's, Bitmojis, etc. They generally go for, in some cases, hyper stylized. I mean, you know, one step beyond a line drawing in certain cases. Is this technical? Is it deeper than this? Is, you know, if, you know, Unreal just recently announced this amazing technology, their metahuman sort of thing. And so clearly we're more and more approaching the world of photorealism being a couple of mouse clicks away. If metahuman technology was kind of one click, if I could take a photo and immediately have an almost perfect digital representation of myself that I could then inject into a game and everyone in the world could do that. Do you think there's an, is there an audience for that? Is that what people want or do they want the stylized obfuscation of themselves? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the MetaHuman is awesome and I know the team that built it and, you know, they're, they are like the top people in avatars. Epic bought them a couple of years ago. And there's 15 years of research that went into that. And, and it's not even trying to create a, you know, a representation from a photo. It's just giving a kind of a large variety of realistic characters you can create that are amazingly rigged that, that, that you can use, you know, in your game. But the question is, you know, do people really want to be realistic, even if they could be uh, in a game? So like our experiences, you know, the first product we built was was a scanning app. So we took 15 or 20 photos of the person and that we generated a realistic scan and then I tried to kind of convince them that realistic avatars are really cool. Well, people generally thought that it, it's creepy and even if the representation is like authentic, you know, people don't like authentic. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a kind of an example is how people create their social media profiles. Yes. You know, you want your social media to be authentic. You want to show your character and your how you're special and, and what you stand for. But you don't want to show a picture of you, you know, 
an ugly picture of you in the dark, whatever. So mm-hmm. you always still, you curate, curate what you look word. like. Yes. And also people want to curate their avatars. They want to curate what they look like. And, and but most people prefer a more cartoony uh, representation of themselves. It can be more cartoony for an environment where that fits. It can be less, you know, but they definitely don't want a fully realistic avatar that really want what is a one-on-one one, copy of themselves. No, that's very interesting. And I guess I have some knock-on questions about that in terms of, you know, AI and like, like if it's creepy, if I'm looking at a digital twin of myself and it's already creepy and I'm sort of thinking like, you know, well, what do I do with this thing? This thing's going to stand out as weird and awkward inside of a video game, you know, because it looks so realistic and the game world is not hyper-realistic. There's obviously additional layers of discomfort that could be added if we start saying, and it sounds like me, and Uh it talks like me, and it's like not just an avatar representation of me, it's like an AI-powered digital twin of me somehow persisting inside this world when I'm disconnected, and that will open up all sorts of additional questions. So do you guys think at all about that, about like maybe the difference between the sort of avatar and the quote-unquote digital twin and whether or not the latter, this idea of of a kind of complete digital copy of myself inside of a persistent world, do you think there's a market for that? Is that something people want? Yeah, if it will be possible to replicate a whole world and make a better version of that virtually, then I'm sure there will be a market for that, (laughs) you know. But for the just the perfect to the digital twin, I think, you know, it would completely change the world for like companies, like for enterprise customers that want to do remote work. If you have a perfect digital twin, you could put on a VR headset and like meet your colleagues, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a dream that many have <laughs> spoken about for a long time since VR came along, I guess. But this is like ultimately like this will be perfect when you have the perfect virtual avatar that looks like a real person. Mm-hmm. And that is somehow easy to create, right? Like I'm not, yeah. I don't want to spend hours or days or thousands of dollars getting a, a model of my face created so I can have this avatar inside this digital world. I want to click a button and have a 3D scanner somehow scan my head and then, okay, boom, now I have my, you know, my avatar foundation. Anything beyond that, I think, and your audience for this is obviously going to go way down, which I think leads to this next question, which is that of likeness. So again, if you take, I don't know, the me as an example, the Nintendo's me, you know, your likeness is, it's pretty distant. I mean, yeah, you can kind of, you know, put glasses on and cut your hair to to look like yours, but the face is a pretty blank canvas. Bitmojis and memojis are a little bit more, a little bit more, give you a little bit more control, a little bit more possibility to make it look like you. Uh, Wolf 3D, your tech even more so. So how important do you think likeness is? Are, are players, are they hungry to have an easy solution to make their avatars look like themselves? Or, you know, do they want that anonymity? Do they want the power of anonymity? I I guess, you know, what do you guys think are the pros and cons of each? And obviously you have a bias towards likeness and that's totally fair and fine, but I'm just wondering if you guys have sort of gone through what the pros and cons of of the, the two extremes are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think it really depends on the game and the use case and the environment. So at first, if you play a game that has a very strong storyline, then you don't want to have your own character in there. You know, if you don't want to go see a movie in a cinema and you are uh, the main character, you know, it's not appealing to me, at least. I don't know. So like that will be, uh, that's a different market. When it comes to multiplayer games, then I think the more you play the games with the people you already know, the more you want to have an accurate representation. You know, for example, in in kind of all kinds of meeting apps, it doesn't matter if it's in VR or, or not VR, most users ask, their first question is like, where's my avatar? Right. You know, I'm meeting my real colleagues. Uh, I'm meeting my real friends. So uh, I want to be myself. And that's, you know, and those are, I guess, two ends of the, to the, of the spectrum. And then there's stuff in between, like Fortnite, sometimes play with friends, sometimes don't play with, with friends. So it depends. But I think like a, a statistic I can share from our experience is, 
you know, in our Ready Play Me avatar creator, we also allow users to make an avatar without the photo. So mm-hmm. it's a kind of a generic avatar. And depending on the use case, about 60 to 90% of people make a personal avatar. So, yeah. So most people still want a, a representation of themselves, at least in our partner apps. Okay. So, well, I, I buy that. And I would say when I was preparing for this interview, I, you know, I went and I tried to read some of the research and it's interesting how far back the sort of academic research goes into avatars and personalization and representation. There's quite a body of research there. And I was, I was sort of interested and maybe more than a little intimidated by how much there was to read there. But one thing I read that really stood out that was interesting to me was that there's some research to suggest that players are willing to invest more energy into their in-game tasks when they more strongly identify with their avatar. That having an avatar that looks like them increases this identification and therefore sort of increases their connection to the game and their willingness to invest in that game and try to achieve. So do you have thoughts on that? Can we make people play harder by encouraging that likeness, by making their avatar more look like them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something we, we've been we've been uh, preaching. <laughs> so you know, when people have an avatar that connects to their real identity, they have a bigger connection with the avatar they create. And just even if you don't have an avatar that looks like yourself, the more time you spend in the customization menu, kind of connecting with the avatar you create, the more likely you're you you are to come back and play the game. And there's a bunch of research on that. There's also a re- research on. You know, on, on like the fact that the avatar that you you use changes your like real world behavior or like Absolutely. thinking. Yeah. So, for example, like the Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab has some has done some cool research on that. Like they um, gave the subjects an avatar that is like a with a different ethnicity than themselves, and had them use it in VR for a while, and it completely kind of changed the um, like. It made users more, or the subjects more empathetic towards the other races. And in another study, they basically, they um, gave users an avatar as an older version of themselves. And uh, the result was that people started uh, thinking more about their financial future, like saving for like uh, retirement. Wow, really? Yeah. And also about their health kind of decisions that they're making now and how they affect their, their future. Oh, that's super cool. Okay, so that that you're already talking about my next question here, but I, I had never heard these terms before, so let me put them out there and then we can dig in a little bit deeper. So I, I read about two terms. So there's the immersionists. So the immersionists are people for whom their digital identity is totally different from their real world identity. They want to be immersed in the game. They They want to forget the real world, right? So you'd imagine those are the people who want their skin to look completely different, their avatar to look completely different. They don't want the baggage of the real world. Then there's the augmentationalists, which is, it's, it's an extension of the real world self, right? I want that digital twin or I want some likeness of myself. So I would imagine that Wolf 3D's a little bit more on the augmentationalist side of things, because as you said, 16 to 90% of people took advantage of the avatar customization based off of the photo to, to, to make it look like them. But so here was the interesting thing that I saw, that there was some research that suggested that immersionists have lower self-esteem in the real world compared to augmentationalists, right? That yeah. they were less confident in their skin, as it were. And so they, when they went into a game, they wanted to wear a different skin because they didn't want to be necessarily reminded of their real world shackles. Do you, do you have any thoughts at that? Does that line up at all with any of your own readings or research or findings? It does, yeah. I mean, so, you know, I have a book, which is uh, basically people and their avatars in different games. <laughs> and when you look at the people that create their avatars after their real selves, then it's usually people that are, look quite attractive or like decent in real life. And people that don't, you know, would prefer to be a little bit different, I guess. Uh, and I've totally seen it uh, in like user studies and user uh, testing we've done over the years. And I think uh, there's definitely some truth in that. That's really interesting. That's yeah, really but interesting. But I think maybe a comment on the argumentationalists and the immersionists. You know, I think 
that terms come that terms come, comes from Second Life, I think, and and this is a world where people most interacted with like people that didn't know strangers right. and you know there you do have two camps of people and some like want to uh, have it as an extension of the real world and some don't it's like an escape but i think most people use it as an escape from the real world to like mm-hmm. create a new identity and kind of experiment and, and live a different world that is better than their real life but mm-hmm. you know the more people use games and, and virtual worlds for communication with you know with the existing world i guess like it's an extension of your your real life the more people are, you know, so to say, argumentationalists. So, because it is like an extension of a real world. You're playing with your real friends. You're you're meeting your real colleagues. So, like, it is. It's natural to want to be a version of yourself in that environment. Yeah, I buy that, and and I would say the way that I see, you know, for example, just like the people around me, the kids in my life playing socially, you know, because they can't play with their friends on the schoolyard anymore. So, so, you know, video games have become their digital playgrounds. And I think it's really interesting to look at Fortnite and how they're sort of splitting or not splitting, but kind of encouraging that safe space, the sort of creative mode or the sort of party mode, which is really just about hanging out and chatting kind of thing, particularly the party mode from the battle royale mode, right? Where it's it's all about the competition. It's all about the achievement and that kind of thing. Yeah, but I think Fortnite in general, like when you compare Fortnite with Counter-Strike, for example, right? So one is a very fast-paced kind of shooter where uh, you run around and you kill people. And there's not much like downtime. Like mm-hmm. even if, if you play like Fortnite Battle Royale, there's a lot of downtime. You like mine, you know, you, you kind of camp around, you collect resources. And this that is a time where you can speak with your, your friends and about school, about other things. So it's Fortnite. Like when I, I grew up, I used to play basketball and that was mm-hmm. my Fortnite as well. Like, you know, exactly. hanging out in a basketball court, chatting with my friends. Yeah, playing the game as well. But it's like a side activity to the main activity, which was like hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> you played basketball. I played Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition. <laughs> Dude, I spent thousands of hours in RuneScape. <laughs> So if anyone hasn't tried out your <clears throat> tech, I'll just explain it really quickly. Generally speaking, how it works is you take a selfie. Uh, a couple of seconds later, there's a stylized avatar with a face that sort of looks like like my own. Uh, it's got my sort of facial f- structure, more or less. It's got my skin tone pretty easily mapped. It's got my, you know, whatever ratio of eyes to nose to mouth. All of that sort of stuff seems to be in pretty, you know, pretty recognizable to me, at least to my eyes. Hair, glasses, body, clothing, <clears throat> that stuff is all still, you know, relatively manual. Is this something you want to automate? And like what has to happen for technology, not necessarily just you guys, but for technology to be able to automate that? Yeah. So, w- that, yeah. So the first part of our research was purely focused on like creating the uh, face representation and and that was a very difficult task on its own, and it, it still is to create avatars from a single photo and a three D representation. We had to scan tens of thousands of people with our hardware scanners. This is where we we started from. We built hardware before, and and that database in the background is how we create those avatars using deep learning. So that took a long time to get kind of nailed down or into a level where it's kind of consumer ready. And also like to be able to support different styles from like kind of more, more realistic avatars to almost like anime style. So that's been like the biggest part of the uh, development and, and research we've done. But we've also started with the customization stuff. So we already predict, you know, hair length and curliness. And we have, you know, some tens of classes where we kind of put them. So if you have your own game, you can actually assign them to your own assets. Or in our character creator, we use our own art, obviously. Mm. You know, body is something that, We've learned people really don't want to be like their own mostly. (laughs) (laughs) So like that's in some cases, maybe like for fashion, like try on and and stuff. But mostly people want want to kind of that they're okay with the default body that they can customize to kind of get what they want. Yeah. Hair, like glasses, you know, that's easy to do. We already have it actually done in the back end. You know, clothing, I think, is we're not, we don't, we haven't seen any much kind of demand for getting a clothing asset from your, from your photo and, and representing that. It's more like you want to have this fun of choosing it and, uh, and changing it. And also, like, from a business model perspective, it makes sense too. Money is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So, but yeah, we, we're like working on more, like we have beer prediction, eyebrow, like size, length, curve, you know, so like things like that we were working on and we were making it better all the time. And honestly, this part is easier technically than the uh, face kind of reconstruction, which requires a lot of data that doesn't exist and just a lot of pain and like try, you know, a lot of, lot of research and, and development. And it's right. also like a task, which is like, it's complicated because it's like data science combined with, you know, graphics, 3D stuff and art. So the result doesn't only have to be accurate. It also has to be pleasing. You know, mm -hmm. people need to love their avatars and striking the right balance there for each different face type. And also, you know, if the picture is taken in a basement, lying on your side without any light, you know, which is like kind of the average input. So, yeah. It's interesting you talk about art and asset creation and how that ties to machine learning and the challenges there, because I can imagine one of the challenges that you and I guess other avatar companies will face or, or do face is just the idea of representation. We've got effectively infinite numbers of skin tones in the world and well, I guess 7.8 billion, but still lots of skin tones, lots of possible hairstyles. You know, human diversity by definition suggests you'll never have complete coverage. So what responsibility, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, do you feel in to, to giving players the tools to properly represent themselves? I mean, how do you handle the trade-off between that sort of effectively infinite treadmill of assets needed to cover everyone versus the, the desire of the player to feel like they're properly represented inside the platform. Yeah, so I think one part is like kind of the, the identity, identity creation, which is like especially sensitive part where we as an avatar creator need to cover, you know, obviously all like ethnicities and, and ages and, and things. And we're not doing... Well, with ages, by the way, <laughs> we're like working on that right now, and, and and that's a very sensitive part. We need to have like the assets for different religions and and so forth. So that's something we've kept in mind as we built our stuff, and we've received some feedback. And even genders, you know, we don't want to define or give limited options to people, right? So that's very important, and that's like our duty. And right now, we also take care of the asset creation, which is you know the skins or customization assets for the avatars, but. We're also working with a community of our of asset creators, very beginning stages still, but eventually we don't want to be in the kind of avatar asset creation business ourselves. We want uh, players themselves create the assets. We want uh, brands to come in and sell their assets. You know, our goal is to get our avatars into as many games as possible. So, and that that makes makes the platform very attractive for individual creators that can make money by making assets for the platform. And also brands that want access to to games, to virtual worlds, and you know, the games uh, developers get most of the revenue. The people that create those assets also make money from that, obviously. And we are the platform that facilitates that. Okay, so I mean that's super cool for Wolf Three D from sort of business point of view. That sounds like it makes a lot of sense, and I guess. I want to try and generalize that maybe a little bit more across the industry. And I know it's difficult yeah. for you to speak for the industry, so but bear with me. Is your thinking then that one way that ava you know, avatar platforms can keep up with the needs of representation is to encourage community creation and community participation. So not only do I have, you know, if I'm a user of your platform and I try and make myself and I find that I'm pushing up against the limits of your technology, I have the tools at my disposal in order to contribute something in such a way that I can not only reach that level of representation that I'm looking for, but also possibly, you know, monetize that and benefit from that down the line. That I have two avenues available to me to reach my level of representation. That's what you're sort of saying is a way that platform creators such as yourself can work to make sure that all diverse player types are, are, are represented. Exactly, yeah. And, and okay. not for yourself only, but also for your group, you know, for yeah. whatever uh, yeah, kind of like pop that. culture you, you stand for or religion or, or, you know, anything. And I think that's the only way to go. Like the, 
kind of user-generated worlds that are kind of a, you know, an up-and-coming thing or even a standard in some parts of the gaming world, they will only extend to avatars as well. And yep. they already have in some ways. You guys talked about this platform ambition, this idea of the sort of persistent persistency between games. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what has to happen for a Wolf 3D avatar to work in both Fortnite and Call of Duty and somehow you know, persist between the two? What What are the blockers preventing something like that from happening? And you can go as shallow or as deep as you want. I mean, just kind of talk about yeah. those challenges. Sure. I think first, like what we think cross-platform identities are important is, you know, met the metaverse, the future of the metaverse, we see that as a kind of a fragmented world where you have lots of creators, lots of platforms, lots of virtual worlds, and it doesn't make sense for you to have a, a different identity in every game and any virtual experience you um, enter, right? So like cross-platform services like for the identity are, are very required to make it a, a great experience where it's smooth and it, it's like a logical. But uh, the, the identity you create doesn't need to look exactly the same in every environment. So Fortnite and Call of Duty, for example, obviously have very different artistic styles. And we're not sure exactly how this is this needs to be solved. Like either there are some styles of avatars that uh, you create and then different games support different styles or or something like that. Like maybe stylizing the characters automatically depending on the environment, which is what we do already with the face and identity, but not with the customization assets yet. Yeah, and, and the obstacles are, yeah, like I mentioned, the styles, obviously. But I think the biggest obstacle is gen like generally the gaming industry doesn't yet, like the kind of uh, the big gaming companies don't yet buy the idea of interoperability too much, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so it's like people want to own obviously their IP, they want to own their character systems, they don't want to have people leave the game. So like the standard thinking is that if people spend money on the avatar, you know, they're more like this, they play the game more, basically. Uh, their mm -hmm. retention improves. And, you know, I think the change will start from not from the big gaming companies. It's it's more like from VR, for example, it's completely different. Obviously, VR is very small still, and, and let's see what happens with that. But in VR, lots of VR founders, lots of VR developers like are very kind of, you know, interoperability minded, let's say. Okay. Then there's this kind of whole, you know, blockchain gaming space, which is all about interoperability. And then there's like emerging spaces like even like virtual events and, and kind of technologies and industries around gaming that are new and don't have their established ways yet. So our goal is to find the right way to kind of start building this. And we already have 40 different partners from very different industries with a cross-platform outer solution. But yeah, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, interoperability obviously is a big subject, uh, Again, referencing Matthew Ball, I mean, it's no secret he's definitely a supporter of the kind of open metaverse, you know, whatever model. Uh, Tim yeah. Sweeney is as well, right? So can you try and paint a picture of what an open metaverse world Let's, it doesn't matter the time, 20 years, 50 years, 10 years, I don't care. But what as a player is that going to feel like? I've got my Fortnite character and I decide I want to do something else, maybe temporarily, maybe permanently. How do I, assuming all the deals have been signed again, what mm -hmm. does that feel like as a player to kind of move from Fortnite to I don't know, World of Warcraft 3 or whatever. Like, what does that look like? I, I still, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what that feels like as a player. Yeah. So we give our users, for example, like when you want to sign into a new uh, experience, you can, you know, bring any of the avatars you've made before into that experience. So if that game has its own specific style, then there will be some automatic stylization applied to that. So it will mm -hmm. be in that game style. It's obviously not very straightforward to do that in a, with a very large range of of different styles but i think like just practically it's more like a you know it's like a sign up with facebook button that you click and then you know your different avatars will be displayed there and you can choose what you want to use but yeah i think it's, it's very difficult to accurately imagine how this is going to be uh, working and i mm -hmm. think 
to get there maybe is not like immediately required. I think the path towards there is more important than like the ultimate dream, which is, you know, I guess people share the dream on a very high level, but the specifics are like impossible to imagine accurately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a journey. The journey is what matters more so in some ways than the yeah. destination, I guess. Okay, and certainly I get that. And I get this idea that, you know, I can have an avatar, a persistent avatar somehow carried over that because I, you know, whatever, bought the banana skin in Fortnite that when I move over to World of Warcraft 3, that there's some version some World of Warcraft 3 version of that skin. I, I, I get that and I can understand all of the challenges behind that. But I guess I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about, like you talked, for example, about cryptocurrency, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if I've spent whatever, $1,000 on skins in World of Warcraft or $1,000 on skins in Fortnite and I decide I'm done with Fortnite, my players have all moved over to World of Warcraft 3, I want to go with them. Do you imagine some world where I can, I can get some of that money back? That I can like sell that investment somehow? And I'm not talking like in the aftermarket where I go and I sell it on eBay and I you know, whatever, I hand over the account. But that if World of Warcraft 3 and Fortnite are willing to share and persist avatar states, would they not also then be willing somehow to share and persist kind of community economy as well? Yeah, definitely they do. And yeah, I mean, maybe it's helpful to share how we anticipate doing that in Ready Pay Me. Um, sure. And we, we kind of, we share our revenue based on time spent in uh, in different apps. So if you spend $10 on a hoodie, let's say, then within the next month where you spend the time with this hoodie is how we distribute the money. So it's kind of where you get the value for having this asset, not for, yeah, not like about where you bought it from because... That kind of is not that important. It's more like where you got the value. Okay. Yeah, so absolutely. It sounds like for you guys are betting on the fact that for this open metaverse to work, there's got to be companies like Wolf 3D and Ready Player Me, these sort of you know persistent layers that tie together these, depra- these disparate worlds, both in yeah. terms of the aesthetics, but also in terms of the business model. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That makes sense. All right. Well, I have two closing questions. One of them is an easy sort of wrap-up question. But before we get to that, let's talk about fashion. What do you think is happening with fashion and virtual worlds? Seems to me like every day I hear about this more and more. What's (laughs) what's going on there? Why do you think this is popping? Yeah, I mean, I think the fashion brands first see that, you know, there's a lot of money to be made with virtual fashion, like Fortnite has illustrated very well, and other games as well. So that's an interesting kind of a a market for them. I think before they were just seeing games as a way to kind of market their brand to like some younger demographic or something like that. But now they see it as a real kind of a business opportunity, so where they can kind of license their brand, their IP which is their fashion that they've created in real worlds that they can then be used in, in games. And I think that's kind of a big change. And also, obviously, there's no fashion shows. You know, there's no yeah. physical kind of marketing stuff that can that they can normally do and they're used to doing. And so they're trying to kind of break into the virtual worlds. And then there's a third aspect to it, which is kind of virtual fitting, which is a more practical application, like, or more, I guess. It's kind of a trying out clothes virtually on your avatar. And we've done a project with a big retailer, one of the biggest ones. And it's like that technology is still like not there. And the fashion companies themselves are not very tech. You know, they haven't worked with startups too much. They haven't worked with tech too much. So it's a very new world for them. For them and it's like kind of difficult to make decisions and so forth. But yeah, they definitely want to piece I think of the of the virtual world fashion market and it makes sense. Like they've built those brands in the real world and all they have to do is basically license their IP to some games and, and make money without producing mm-hmm. anything. So um yeah, we have a lot of inbound from fashion brands and they see us as a way to get into many games at the time. So like instead of going and, and making deals and creating custom content for each game, 
they will come to uh, to us and get access to uh, a lot of games mm-hmm. with one integration. Okay, so closing question tied to that five years predictions. What's the metaverse going to look like? And what do you think the role of avatars in general are going to be in that space? What sort of advances will we see over today, do you think? I think like games obviously will be even more social. People will look at games as a natural place to hang out and kind of form relationships around. You know, the games themselves will be generated by users themselves increasingly so you know i think the first generation that is used to using avatars for games will grow up and and start working and i think they will start using more kind of games like technologies for work as well i think definitely vr will be uh, adopted by the enterprise you know in in masses what it means for the avatars is you know avatars become a more important part of our daily lives it's we, we communicate through avatars more and more over the next next five years in a work context, in a kind of a game context. And and a, and a lot more of that communication is going to be with people we already know in, in real world. So uh, I think games become more like social media is today. It's not like a different... Today, games are like this other kind of virtual world where I think in five years, they'll be more like, like real social media. Like if Donald Trump tweets something or tweeted something, he can't tweet anymore. <laughs> then uh, you know it's a part of the real world. It's a real thing. We don't speak about that as like you know something happened in a in a virtual world in social media somewhere. It's a part of the real world, and I think games will increasingly be that as well. And those are very general predictions and oh, very that- obvious ones. But yeah. Okay. Well, Timo, thank you so much. I want to thank you for joining us today, sharing your learnings and lessons from the trenches with uh, Wolf 3D, with Ready Player Me, with the thoughts that you, you've developed over the last few years as you you and your, your company have pushed hard to kind of be a, a player in, in this, I don't know, e- emerging metaverse space. I, I think you've got some really interesting insight and I, I'm glad you took the time to share it with me and the listeners and love to, you know, maybe bring you back in a year or so and sort of see where things are at, see how many of our predictions are, I don't know, moving in the right direction. But for today, yes. for today thank you very much. That, that would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. And once again, that's the end of the episode. Uh, thanks, Timo, for joining. I hope you guys found this this conversation on avatars interesting and insightful and, and that maybe uh, opened your eyes to some interesting points about how deep down the rabbit hole you can go when you start thinking about representation inside of virtual spaces, inside of video games and the metaverse. It's, it's obviously a big can of worms and there's there's a lot of interconnected subjects there. I, I find it fascinating. Hopefully you do as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to let us know. We love getting your feedback, positive or negative, whether we you know got it, whether we explored a subject in an insightful way or not. We don't do this for the money. Clearly there's no ads. We, we won't ever put ads in, into this. It's really just about trying to do a service for the industry and, and, and help drive the conversation forward in interesting and meaningful ways. The absolute best quote unquote payment we can get uh, is the feedback from the listeners. So if you have any thoughts, guests you'd like us to talk to, subjects you'd like us to explore, please, 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 by all means, reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn, email, um, not hard to find, uh, and just let us know what you think. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Tune in in a couple of weeks for uh, what I think is going to be another very interesting and exciting episode. It's one I've been sitting on for a long time and I can't wait for you to hear it. All right, have a great one. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.